Have you ever been told at some point in your life that you are not good enough, smart enough, strong enough, rich enough, or any reason really? This podcast is meant to teach, motivate, and inspire you to never lose sight of what your true passion is and to always believe you are far more capable than you think. Welcome to the Why Not Me podcast with your host, David Florence. Each week, we'll bring you a special guest that will truly motivate, inspire, and encourage you to never lose sight of who you are, what it is you're meant to do, and to offer valuable advice on what steps you can take to help you believe in yourself, achieve your dreams, and ultimately lead you to discover your purpose, passion, and drive. So I've learned support groups is really, really powerful, but most people are embarrassed to try and go to a support group because they don't want to share that they're actually suffering. They put on this strong front that they can handle it alone, and we're not meant to handle things alone. You know, God will never give us more than we can't handle with a group. Um, He might give us more than we can handle with ourselves, which requires us to find a group. But he's not going to give us more than we can't handle with a group. So I think that's really important is whether it's finding a mentor or a coach. I don't like to call myself a therapist because you have to have right. something wrong with you to have to, to see a therapist. I like to call myself a coach because you you can always see a coach to get better in life, but you right. don't have to have something wrong with you to see a coach. Welcome to the Why Not Me podcast with your host, David Bohorans. Today, I bring to you a guest whose story and message is so powerful and impactful you're going to want to really sit down and truly listen to this episode. I'm bringing on a guest whose message, when I heard it for the first time, blew my mind away, really, of how she overcame what she actually did in her life and how she's turned that around and impacting and helping so many others today with her current business. And I'm excited to bring Amber Kivett onto the show today. But before I do... I want to tell you a little bit about Amber and how uh, special this guest it really is. Amber is an Amazon best-selling co-author to Dear Her. Amber is also an award-winning national presenter recognized by Forbes magazine, Pop Sugar, Prevention, National Awakenings, Live Strong, and Healthline magazines. Amber is also a spokesmodel and educator for LifePro world-class recovery tools. And one of my new favorites, which I personally have used, Amber's become an ambassador for B3 BFR science bands. Highly encourage anyone to go on their website, check them out, or go visit a facility with these bands and try them. I'm telling you, they will change your life. Some of the more and and special things that I've learned about Amber and the accolades that she's received. She's also been endorsed by celebrities, world-class coaches, elite athletes and the general population for globally changing their lives with her system called KIPRS, which stands for Kivit Instant Pain Relief Systems. And Amber's business of Kinetic Solutions, also known for, by her last name, Kivit Kinetic Solutions, LLC, also serves many people in her area who seek her out not just locally, but nationally. Amber serves in a leadership role as a feature presenter with the National Athletic Trainers Association, the Indiana Athletic Trainers Association, and the business of athletic training for her expertise in serving as a certified athletic trainer. 
So excited to bring Amber on. Can't wait for you to meet her. Amber, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me today. Well, Amber, we're very impressed with who you are as a person with your story that you you and I've talked offline about and what you do now. So excited to share your story with the audience, what you do now, and just really know it's going to help a lot of people out there today who's listening. So let's start with kind of what you're up to now and let's back into kind of how you got there. Sure. So um, I live uh, on the west side of Indianapolis on a a cattle farm, um, about 300 acres. And uh, my husband and I built uh, what what people call barnuminium years ago, um, Mm -hmm. over 20 years ago. And um, my business started in that in that barn. So my barn is located next door to my house nowadays. But um, I am known for um, instant pain relief in the form of holistic or Eastern methodologies. Um, but I do um, the the way that my business has come about has been bringing um, modern healthcare full circle, mind, body, and spirit, and treating the individual as an individual, not through protocol specific as what the Western medicine system kind of provides. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what people call me for, people call me when they are in pain and they've already, uh, many have already gone through um, the journey of physical therapy or surgical procedures, doctors, pills, um, and they're at the end of their rope. And um, right. whether it's mental or whether it's physical pain, um, you know, pain comes in the form of four, what I consider four different ways, and that's spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical. Mm-hmm. Um, there's usually trauma that's stored underneath any kind of pain, whether it's physical or emotional. And so um, I have kind of become kind of the the gatekeeper of dreams is what some people call me (laughs) or the magic lady. Um, People come to me, experience magic. And it's, um, you know, most people would say that magic is just the ability to feel relief Mm -hmm. um, after they've been in pain for a long time. But I use a lot of different I created my own system through the years. Um, It's taken me about 14, 15 years to figure it out. But between corrective exercise, postural assessments. whole body vibration, mechanic vibration, cupping, scraping, manual massage with my hands, acupuncture, but more mm. importantly, mental coaching. Right. Um, and just accepting people where they're at and just listening to what they're trying to tell as opposed to me asking them questions. Mm. Um, you know, they come in and they they lay it out and I look at them and say, okay, I, I think I can help you or I know I can help you or uh, I think I, I know what we're going to do. We're going to try it, but I know you're going to feel better somehow or another. And just the fact that they've been rejected so many times by other practitioners, they have hope um, before the session even gets underway, which really makes a big difference into how the energy goes in and comes out. So I'm known for healing. So what made you like get want to even get into that that path? (laughs) Would you Um, were you an athlete? (laughs) Well, the whole story of how I got into being an athletic trainer is kind of a weird one. Um, I ended up in going to Purdue to get away from an ex-boyfriend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I went the opposite way. <laughs> right. I was a chemistry major for two years and just was not happy with it. Um, I didn't enjoy the classes. I loved it in high school, but did not enjoy it in college. So I switched. Mm-hmm. Um, and in college was when I actually became more of an athlete. I mean, I was an athlete. I played a lot of different sports as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we all know now, as compared to what it was when we were playing sports in the 80s and 90s, it was mm-hmm. not competitive. Like right. you had to be asked to be on an all-star team and to travel. Mm-hmm. And now it is, it's a lifestyle and it, right. it completely governs youth and families as, as a whole. Um, so when I got to Purdue, I actually started working on myself because my husband now 
um, was prom king and I was a nerd <laughs> in a city school. And I just didn't think I was good enough for him when I first met him. So I started getting my butt to the gym um, because I wanted to look better, feel better. And that's right. when I fell into the love of the fitness um, side of, you know, lifestyle. And so I got into athletic training thinking that it was, you, you know, human performance or strength coaching, never have seen, seeing an athletic trainer in my life mm -hmm. and was in, I, I'm going to say that God put me in the right room at the right time. And I thought I was in the wrong room at the wrong time. Right. Um, I, I was in the room and it was not what I had signed up for, but I didn't know that the world even existed, that the career was mm -hmm. even out there. And so when the, um, and this is one of the top sports medicine programs in the nation at the time. Right. And so when I am listening to the National Athletic Training Association president, who is the director of Purdue Athletics for sports medicine, get up and say, if you didn't plan on going to football practice to get spit on and to getting sweaty and doing all these grunt work, okay. uh, nine hours, 10 hours a week for one credit hour, then now's the time to get out of the room. And I thought, oh, <laughs> I didn't sign up for this. That's but right. I'm interested. So let's just sit in the room a little longer because I don't want to be the one person out of 90 that walks out of the room looks like an <laughs> absolute idiot. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so, so I stayed and I listened to the one hour class and I thought, hmm, well, I've already been scheduled for these hours. Why not give it a try? And so mm -hmm. I did. And I loved it. They took 12 of us um, out of the 90 ish. Um, so six females and six males. And those were what became truly the best years of my life. I love being a mom. I love being a wife. Um, I love being a, a healthcare provider. But those years of my life in sports medicine gave me the opportunity to be who I wanted to be and to discover myself and to fail and to figure out who I truly had the potential to be after living a life of trauma. I, I came from trauma. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, getting out and getting into the profession, um, I really had hit the glass ceiling um, within three years after getting out of college and mm -hmm. was doing like truly living my best life. It was, I was living my dream, right. truly what I thought was my dream. Um, I was married to my husband for just nine months. We dated for seven years, but married for nine months. And I was struck um, in a motor vehicle accident. I was sandwiched between two very large vehicles, driving a large vehicle. Mm -hmm. And I ended up with eight spinal injuries, head trauma, and the immediate onset of fibromyalgia and a life of trauma. Like oh, I was already yeah. carrying trauma in my system and just never talked about it. Right. And then when I got struck with it, um, it did something to my body and my mind that I didn't know was possible. And now I'm in an absolute midlife crisis trying to fit, not even midlife crisis. I was 27. Right. Now I'm at a time in which I'm trying to figure out like, what is my life now? Because my identity is now over as mm -hmm. I know it. And is my husband going to leave me? And am right. I going to be able to go back to work? And do I have to have spine surgery? And um, I, I went from living uh, like the best in my life and, mm -hmm. and making the money I wanted to live and being a newlywed and having the mm -hmm. home and the car and to not being able to move and truly a vegetable without a spinal cord injury. So um, I will say that this dream that I'm living right now is not what I signed up for in the beginning, but right. I'm loving every moment of it. It was what God, God had to put me through it in order for me to be able to figure it out so that I could change lives and serve what I'm actually supposed to do. Right. And which leads to the kind of million dollar question is adversity, right? How, yeah. how is that adversity and how would you define adversity and, and how it impacted and changed your life. Sure. So I think um, what's really important for people, I, when I ask this question to a lot of my clients, most people don't understand what adversity even means. They hear right. about it and they just nod their head like they understand right. it, but they don't really know what it means. Right. Um, adversity in a lot of minds from listening to my clients is just 
a challenge or an obstacle that gets in the way of what you want to do. That's, mm -hmm. that's adversity. We don't choose for adversity to right. happen to us. It just happens, right? right. Whether it's a, whether it's a environmental or whether it is health related or whether it's mental or mm -hmm. um, career, there's a lot of different forms of adversity, but um, it's an obstacle or a challenge that gets in the way from getting, you know, allowing you to get to the top of the mountain you're trying to climb, which is truly most people, their dream. Exactly. What I like to define now that I'm understanding it at a totally different perspective, um, what I like to define adversity is, is simply God's form of resistance training for us. Mm -hmm. Because why do we do resistance training? We go to the gym to get stronger. Mm -hmm. um, your clients come to Anytime Fitness because they they need help in order to get stronger in their life because they don't feel good or they want to lose weight or they want to look a certain way or they just want to feel different. Right. But um, we put them through resistance training in the gym because we know it's going to make them stronger. It's going to make them better and it's going to make them a different person. It's going to convert them, right? Mm -hmm. um, we would not choose the resistance training that is necessary for us to change our pathway in life because it's too hard when we think about it. And the way that we consider it, because we are human, um, we want, we're selfish. So we want rewards now. We don't want to deal with the consequences. We don't want to look at the storm. We would not choose to go into a storm if we could go lay out at the beach in the sun right. or climb, climb a mountain because of how beautiful we know that we can do it. Mm -hmm. um, but we wouldn't climb the bigger mountain or the biggest mountain because we don't believe in ourselves that we can. But when you are thrown adversity in the form of God's resistance training, you don't have a choice. You either mm -hmm. figure it out or you're out. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Exactly. exactly. So I like to define adversity as just God's resistance training for us because we wouldn't choose it. But he's getting us through a situation in order mm -hmm. to qualify us. He's qualifying us to serve um, on a bigger platform that Absolutely. we normally wouldn't sign up for because we actually survived it. So therefore it's more qualifying uh, of us. Um, we, we went and hired somebody to sail the ship who has written the map from just, or I'm sorry, we wouldn't, we wouldn't hire somebody to, to sail the ship. Um, if they've just read the map, we want somebody who's actually been through the storm right. more and more times again, you know, cause you know, you can survive it with them. You don't mm -hmm. want to be on the ship with somebody who hasn't been through it yet. They, mm -hmm. they understand the map. They've memorized the map. It seems easy, right? But mm -hmm. until you get into the storm, you don't know what you're dealing with until you're dealing with it. Right. So that's, that's how I define adversity. Yeah. And that's when you think about anyone, like you said, who's coming to talk to somebody or see somebody, you want to go to someone who's experienced or been through what you're either dealing with or going through now or in the past. That's really affecting your physical and mental state. So just like a coach. You know, sure. if you're signing up for you know, your kids up for cheerleading or basketball or athletic training, you, you really want to go to someone who's either been an athlete in the past or has some sort of experience versus somebody who doesn't have any um, experience in that field to help you through your adversity or you're just wanting to be better. So which leads me to asking, how do you cope with adversity and what are some of your strategies, you know, for those times in your life? Sure. Well, I've gone through a lot of adversity. Um, I come from uh, years of sexual abuse as a kid, and then high school was raped, multiple multiple situations with that um, in in one date. And then, um, you know, after I mm -hmm. got married and and got into the accident, um, having to learn to walk again and living mm -hmm. a functional lifestyle and getting my mind into a different uh, identity, um, losing a child having a child a month early and being truly survive, trying to survive um, the mm -hmm. delivery and unexpected emergency. 
Right. And then, um, you know, surgery for a total hysterectomy. And here recently, just um, the onset of autoimmune disease, uh, like I've never experienced it. So mm. um, I have I have failed in trying to handle adversity in the past. I'm going to tell you what not to do. Right. Um, don't panic and don't blame um, and don't be angry because don't wonder why me or no, this this isn't happening. You're like, don't be in denial. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to do that. And I used to be angry. I was angry at the woman who hit me for so many years. And mm-hmm. even after my lawsuit came through and I was healed and I was feeling somewhat better, I was still angry and not feeling good. And I couldn't figure mm-hmm. out why. And it had to do with forgiveness. Right. So adversity, a lot of adversity is forgiveness. Um, so don't be angry at whatever is going on in your life, whether you are being separated from a spouse or child mm-hmm. has done something out of, out there that you don't have control over. Um, I think the most important thing with adversity is just learning that you absolutely have to control only what you can control. And, um, that's how you feed your, your mind with thoughts and Mm -hmm. inspiration. And that's how you, um, process thoughts and opinions about others towards you and, uh, what you say and what you do, and that's it. Mm -hmm. But if you can't change what other people do or say about you or think about you, you can't worry about it. Um, and how we worry is how we heal. So when we worry about things, we inflame stress hormones, our body creates chronic systemic inflammation and our body can't fix itself. Mm-hmm. So we have to look at everything through gratitude. And um, I've learned that more and more through the years um, as I have continued to be thrown these moments of adversity right. of, okay, God, I get, uh, you're throwing me this. I don't know why mm-hmm. you're throwing it to me, but I'm going to ride the wave with you and I'm going to believe in you and I'm going mm-hmm. to not deny that this is happening. And I'm going to just see what I'm supposed to take away from it. Cause I know I'm supposed mm-hmm. to serve something in, into right. the future. Right. Um, but for me, I think journaling and um, getting out so many people hold on to trauma. Mm-hmm. And if you don't talk to somebody who understands how to navigate through trauma um, or is willing to just listen then you tend to store that within your body and your connective tissue and in your fascia. And it manifests into disease or into other forms of pain or mm-hmm. autoimmune conditions. So you have to get it out, whether it's journaling or whether it's talking to somebody. Um, and I think, or even a support group. I mean, there's been right. a couple of scenarios in which I've had to join Facebook support groups just because mm-hmm. I wanted to, mm-hmm. you know, figure out what other people are, are dealing with and how they're handling it. And you learn a lot from what other people are sharing that things that might've works because you only get five to 10 minutes with the doctor. So they're mm-hmm. not going to tell you anything. They're just right. going to write the script and send you out the door. Right. Um, so I've learned support groups is really, really powerful, but most people are embarrassed to try and go to a support group because they don't want to share that they're actually suffering. They put on this strong front mm-hmm. that they can handle it alone. And we're not meant to handle things alone. You know, God will never give us more than we can't handle with a group. Right. Um, he might give us more than we can handle with ourselves, which requires us to find a group. Mm-hmm. But he's not going to give us more than we can't handle with a group. So I think that's really important is whether it's finding a mentor or a coach. I don't like to call myself a therapist because you have to have right. something wrong with you to have to to see a therapist. I like to call myself a coach because you you can always see a coach to get better in life, but you right. don't have to have something wrong with you to see a coach. Right. Um, so I think that, that that those are, you know, stay moving is really important. Um, mm-hmm. Most people who are in trauma or dealing with adversity, they clam mm-hmm. up. They, they close inward and they don't mm-hmm. want to don't want to do anything, mm-hmm. which is leads to depression and separation right. and anxiety. And we have to we have to interact with each other. We don't have to share what's on our mind, but we have to have human interaction in order to continue to heal, because that's what our body is meant to, to do. So interacting with other people in some capacity and um, 
not being afraid of what's coming because we don't have right. control of the future doesn't exist. Right. We only have control over what's going on right now. And we use our past failures as lessons for opportunity about now. And so mm -hmm. I think, you know, um, just not being angry and, and being positive and feeding your mind with um, music or podcast or books mm -hmm. or information on maybe not how to get better, but just stuff that's not negative. Right. And for, and for you is one of the reasons when you and I first met and as we've gotten to know each other and what you've had to overcome, really some of the worst moments that anyone would ever have to deal with or, sure. you know, or you want, wouldn't want your child to go through. Or so, I mean, you amaze me, like just with your strength and your passion and your de determination to overcome all those things and to help others. And you continue to do that today. And you didn't let those things impact you to the point where it's affecting who you are as a person. So how did they impact you? Because you, but you, you've overcome all those. So how did you, how did sure. you, if someone's listening to this right now and maybe has gone through something similar or is dealing with that. So, yeah. but how did you not let that impact who you sure. are? So for me, um, my, my sexual trauma started in fourth grade and um, it was a, a few family members, both different sides of the family, um, mm. different incidents. Um, but from fourth grade to seventh grade, I went through sexual abuse at home. And then, and it was not, it was not my immediate family. It was not my parents or a sibling. It was an extended family relative. Right. Um, and then when I was in high school, I was getting raped on, um, I actually wasn't out on a date. I was actually dating somebody very serious. And I happened to go to a party with a friend mm. and out in the middle of nowhere and no transportation. I was only 15. And, mm. um, you know, it, I was taken advantage of by, by multiple people, um, mm. I attempted suicide a few years after that because um, one of them gave me a disease that I have to deal with. And it's not anything contagious by any means, but mm -hmm. I still have to live with that. Right. Um, and, you know, my my high school sweetheart left me because of how my personality changed when all that happened. Mm. Um, so, you know, I was angry for a while and um, I alienated a lot of my friends because I wanted to spend more time with my my high school sweetheart. I, I put so much time with him and his mm -hmm. friends that I left mine behind. Um, and, you know, again, right. when he left me and then now I have I don't have his friend, you know, group um, and I've given away all my friends mm -hmm. because I'm wanting to spend more time in other areas. I felt very alone. My parents were not home much um, and I was the oldest mm -hmm. of three siblings. So um, I remember being at home in the middle of summer and I attempted my life. Uh, I'm attempted to take and my mother found me and um, I got help immediately and talked to somebody. I just needed to mm -hmm. talk to somebody, but I mm -hmm. didn't feel like anybody, it mattered because I was never, you know, nobody, nobody really seemed to care, but nobody really knew that I was suffering because I never talked about it. And mm. um, with the abuse and with the rape, I swept it under the rug, um, which I don't recommend anybody do. Um, and then when I had the opportunity to go to Purdue, that was my reset button. Um, I earned a, a full mm. scholarship to go for four years by by being drug and alcohol free. Um, a family paid um, for my tuition and memory of their daughter being killed in an accident from a drunk mm. driver. And I just happened to be the one that qualified to go. Um, and so I took advantage of the opportunity to reset my, my, my life and find myself. And I did it on a very big campus because how many times can you screw up before everybody knows? 
on right. a big campus, you can screw up and nobody knows, right? And <laughs> <Then> they're done <laughs> that, a, yeah. <laughs> go to a small campus and you screw up and everybody knows. So mm. I intentionally went big um, and, and kind of lost myself on campus to find myself. Mm. And then um, in some of these other situations with, um, you know, I, I've always had a body image problem because of my sexual trauma. Mm. And so um, meeting the love of my life um, and truly my soulmate and, and getting married to him, he took very good care of me for better, for worse. And mm-hmm. um, I actually felt so unworthy of receiving that love and receiving that commitment that I actually gave him permission to leave me to cheat on me because I thought that that was normal. <laughs> I thought that was normal for mm-hmm. people. You know, if you can't be intimate with your spouse, you know, they're going to find somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I actually told him, I said, don't hide it from me. Just go if that's what you're going to do, but don't leave me alone at night because I had already been left alone for so many times mm. in my life. I just didn't want to be alone. Right. And so um, he never cheated on me. He, he has remained true to me my entire life with him. Um, and, you know, Adam has been uh, truly a crutch mm. uh, of strength for me to be able to get through my life. So um, for me, um, you know, I lost myself when, um, when I, here's a question I asked to so many of my clients who come in, if who we are is based off of how others see us based off of the car we drive, where we live, what our house looks like, what kind of clothes we wear, what kind of handbag or shoes we wear, um, you know, what, what kind of job you work, how Mm -hmm. you, how you wear your hair, who you hang out with, um, what books you've written, or if you've been on the news or Mm -hmm. who you get to, you know, hang out with, if who we are is based off of all of that, when you take it all away, what's left? Right. And most people say nothing. Most people that I see who are broken and are in physical pain and emotional trauma, they say nothing, but you still have you. We still mm-hmm. have, I still have me. And we always have the ability to be anybody we want to be. It's up to us. Right. But we have to do the work. It's not just going to happen. And so for me, um, I lost myself. And my husband, being the amazing man he is, says to me, honey, your full-time job is to just get healthy because mm-hmm. I can't take care of you and a child. And we wanted a family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he said, you know, I don't care if you go back to work. We are doing okay that you don't have to go back to work. So don't stress over going back to work to this career that you identify with. Right. You just have to get healthy to where you're not taking 23 pills a day. Mm-hmm. You're not sleeping all hours of the day because I had so many doctors that were using me as a guinea pig and I was taking 23 pills a day, eight to 10 of those were Percocet, four to six of those were Tramadol, um, multiple sleep pills, um, antidepressants, just all kinds of stuff. And when your system is taking medicine like that, you're no longer there. Like I had no short-term memory because of side effects Mm -hmm. and I had a head injury. I didn't know who I was. Mm -hmm. And um, Mm -hmm. for me, I had to deal with the physical pain somehow in order to figure out who I could be because the physical pain was so bad that I lost sight of everything going on around me. And so Mm. I'm going to tell people in your audience, if you are somebody who is suffering from physical pain and your doctors or your practitioners are not listening to you, then fire them. Mm. Because I fired everybody when they told me this is as life, this is as good as life gets for you. You're just going to have to figure out how to survive and we'll file social security benefits on you so Mm. that you can file for disability. But you don't have to work again. We'll file disability. And I'm like, but I didn't go to Purdue for six years right. and live this fairy tale life with my guy to live like a vegetable. This is mm-hmm. not my life. This is not how I'm going to go. You're fired. You're out. Right. And so 
I told my husband, I didn't want to take the pills anymore. I didn't want to live this life anymore. And we had to find a way. And we found an Asian physician that helped me and um, mm. got me off all the meds and told me to do exactly the opposite of what I was told to do by all the other doctors. Right. Um, the other doctors told me, just rest, take the, mm -hmm. take the medicine on time, just rest and let us know what, how you feel. And um, every single day, my identity was based on a pain scale. What's your pain today? Mm -hmm. What's your pain today? And I was a number on a chart. Right. That was my life every single day for almost two years. And mm -hmm. when I fired them and started going to the gym, I couldn't walk up the stairs to go to the gym. So mm -hmm. I had to take the elevator. Mm -hmm. And because my identity at that time was in my late 20s, I did not want other people who knew me to see me because I gained about 50 pounds. Mm -hmm. And I felt horrible looking at myself right. in the mirror. Um, and I couldn't comb my hair, so I chopped my hair off because I couldn't take care of myself. I mean, right. I went, David, I went seven days without taking a bath because that's how painful it was to take a bath. Wow. And I just didn't want to get out of bed to do it. So mm -hmm. I understand how bad it gets. But um, just going to the gym and taking the elevator and, and taking a, a, a non-narcotic pain pill, just strong enough that I could pedal the bike, not even hard enough to turn on the computer on a life fitness bike was pedaling the bike, but could not even turn on the machine. Wow. But that was enough movement to try. Right. That was enough movement to try. And I made it so that I had distractions. So I, at that time, I liked to watch The Young and the Restless, Bold and the Beautiful soap operas or The Price is Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I always made sure that I was at the gym at the same time that senior citizens were at the gym because we all have something mm -hmm. in common. We can't move and we're all right. alone. Right. <laughs> so, right. And we all exactly. have stories to share. So they became my support group. Mm -hmm. And they always made sure that my bike was ready and that my TV shows were ready to go because they wanted somebody to talk to. Mm -hmm. And I would sit there and just pedal until I would go numb. And then I would get up and walk around enough to go unnumb. And then I get on the bike again. And I mm -hmm. did that day after day after day. I didn't go on the weekends because everybody I knew was there on the weekends. Um, but I got to the point where I was able to get on a Stairmaster. And mm -hmm. then I was able to get on an elliptical trainer. But I still could not walk up and down stairs because you're, you're having to overcome gravity. Right. Totally different on the, on the resistance. Um, I couldn't do any of that. And so finally I went on a trip and got to the point where um, my, my stepmom wanted to, to go to the Biltmore estate. And it was like on my bucket list. I mm -hmm. wanted to go see this mansion always had. Mm -hmm. And so I went and I took my medicine with me. And um, that morning I'd forgot my pain pills. And I thought, I'm not going to miss this pool on this tour, which was not part of the handicap tour. Right, so right. I'm like, I'm not going to miss the swimming pool on this tour. Mm -hmm. That's one thing I really wanted to see in this house, in this mansion. And so it was how they used to swim with this indoor pool mm -hmm. at a time in which that stuff didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And so I took one step at a time and went up all these flights and I did it. And mm -hmm. something crazy happened. I wasn't in pain. But here's what happened. Wow. I realized in that, in that point that all these doctors made me think that I had to take that pill in order to not have pain. When in reality, I had the ability to do it all along. I just did what they told me to do. Mm -hmm. And when I stopped doing what they told mm -hmm. me to do was when I found the freedom to actually take care of myself because I knew I could actually do it. So if your doctors mm -hmm. are telling you or if your practitioners are telling you or somebody's telling you, your maybe your family member is telling you, you cannot do this without this. Mm -hmm. Like you're never going to make it or, you know, you're not as mm -hmm. good as you used to be. You, you're, you're, not, you're not good enough. Or if you're telling yourself, right. I don't feel good enough, you have to find somebody who tells you that you can, because right. it starts with that. And when I realized mm -hmm. that I could, that's when I walked away from all of it completely and said, okay, like I'm mm -hmm. not, I'm not doing any more than I have to do. And there are certain medicines mm -hmm. that I had to take because my brain was not producing 
certain hormones for my body to actually function. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I knew I had to use it as a resource, but it's just a tool in the toolbox and you just use it as long as you mm -hmm. need it. And then when you're done, then you put it away and you go on with life. But um, right. each one of those moments, um, I, I didn't find that I really, um, you know, I lost my identity with the accident. And then when I mm -hmm. got back to work, I lost my identity as an athletic trainer because nobody wanted me. I was broken as an athletic trainer as they saw it. They didn't want me to work for them. Um, my personality mm -hmm. had changed. So I was not the person that they remembered before the accident. And so, again, I'm facing an identity crisis. And that's when mm -hmm. I started my own business. Um, mm. and just kind of found my way on my own, no red tape, no strings attached and take me as I am and mm -hmm. just not caring. And that's what mm -hmm. I needed. And that's how I have built the empire that I'm in now. Mm -hmm. Um, there's been moments in which I've had to have surgeries because of more adversity and, um, mm -hmm. you know, you just have to live. I, I, I had to see a psychiatrist or psychologist when I was overcoming these spinal injuries to figure out how to deal with people. Right. Um, with this new identity I was facing. Mm -hmm. And there's two words that he shared with me that have changed my life forever. Um, somebody asked you a question you don't know, and mm -hmm. it's a question of the future. We'll see. Because the future is not here yet. It doesn't exist. And it right. takes the pressure off of your mind and trying to figure out, man, I don't mm -hmm. have the answers. I don't know mm -hmm. what I'm supposed to do. I don't know if I'm going to be able to, to succeed. I don't know if I'm going to fail. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. And mm -hmm. I had to learn to live one hour at a time every single day. I always had a plan. I always had right. like an itinerary of my day of how I wanted to live. I had my goals, but mm -hmm. we don't have control over how time comes in. We only have control right. over time as we're in it. And so I had to learn mm -hmm. to live one hour as it came because I didn't know if I would be able to have the energy or the physical stamina to do what I wanted to do or what people were expecting of me. And so in order mm -hmm. to not give their hopes that I was able to do it, I would have to just say, we will see. We'll see. Right. And so in my household right now, it's kind of a laughing joke that we'll see as a person. <laughs> my my 12-year-old <laughs> daughter, I've learned if she asks me a question, she'll say, hey, mom, can we do this? I don't know. We'll see. She's like, what? <laughs> we'll see. She's like, who is we'll see? And I'm like, <laughs> we'll see is two words. We will see put right, into, right. you know. <laughs> So it's a laughing joke. So who's this? We'll see. That's right. <laughs> it took a while for her as a 12 year old. She always thought it was a person. We'll see. Mm -hmm. that's <laughs> so a, um, I've learned to live an hour at a time. Yeah, that's a that's a common uh, phrase. We'll see. A, <laughs> I think I grew up with that as well. <laughs> so. but, but it doesn't mean yes. It doesn't mean no. Right. It doesn't mean maybe. It doesn't right. mean I doubt it. It means we will see because you don't know until you 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 know what's what's in the moment, right? Right. And so it takes the pressure off of so much. And I'll tell you, mm -hmm. David, when people start asking you these questions all the time and mm -hmm. you say the same response, we'll see, people will stop asking you questions because they're tired of hearing your answer. <laughs> and it takes the pressure off. So yeah. you just get to live and then people come back and say, how did you do it? How mm -hmm. did you do that? Mm -hmm. Well, I just took it as it came. I didn't get my head wrapped around what couldn't be done. Mm -hmm. I wrapped around and saw myself doing it and waited mm -hmm. for the moment to come. All right. I mean, you quarterbacked your own, your own health, you took yep. control of it. And I personally can relate to the doctor's situation when uh, I think I was around, it was in my junior, going into my junior year of high school and never experienced death and, you know, with a family member and my uncle, who I was really close to passed away. So uh, dealing with a lot of like, I've never experienced this. So a lot of anxiety, right. And sure. seeing multiple doctors and they're saying, you know, first they think you have this acid reflux or you're on, they're giving all these 
pills, try this, this will make you feel better. And nothing, nothing was working, like nothing was working. So went through all the tests and everything like that to see if, there, if I had any issues. And the surgeon's like, no, you, I mean, you're good. Um, finally, I went to see a friend of mine who was a, a neighbor who was a, a doctor, like in a wholly different field. He said, I mm -hmm. think you're experiencing anxiety. Like, I, you know, like, so I don't think there's anything physically wrong with you. He's like, so I would stop seeing or fire that doctor and go, you know, talk to somebody else. And it was it just happened to be an athletic coach that I met through my high school that, you know, had experienced something similar and he got me through that. So I think that's great advice. Have that encouragement to quarterback and take control of your own health. If something doesn't feel right and you can, and if, and you're feeling that inside and chances are, it's probably not the right path. Right. And you took, right. took control of that. So that's, that's good advice. And I would encourage somebody if you're feeling that way and it doesn't feel right, it's probably not right. Right. So. Correct. So here's a question I have for you, David. Um, anxiety, in my opinion, nowadays is a very strong buzzword. Everybody, mm -hmm. everybody that I see that walks in my facility for pain checks mm -hmm. off the box for anxiety and mm -hmm. it, everybody tosses that word around, but I don't think mm -hmm. really people understand what it means. What is mm -hmm. your definition of anxiety? Cause I have mine, but I'm curious about what is yours? Well, for me at the time it was, you know, just physical, like just, not being able to talk to somebody. So uh, to me, it was a lot of built up inner stress. I felt like that mm -hmm. caused that caused physical pain and, and, and inside literally Symptoms. feeling like a physical pain, like a tightness yeah. of the chest, for example. Um, just almost like you're a 17 year old having a heart attack that, that doesn't happen. So yeah, calmly talking to yourself through those things and it just, and after going to see these doctors say, yeah, take this pill. It's, it's, this is what it is. And, and now I'm like, that's not working. So for me, it was that physical to me. That's, I would say that's anxiety when you're feeling that physical pain, something's sure. causing that. And to me, it was that stress of seeing a, um, a loved one, you know, who I was really close with. And I didn't know how to express those feelings at the time to anybody. Cause we didn't talk about that stuff, you know, with our sure. family, you know, back in the day. So how does a, 16, 17 year old deal with that. Like who, if you yep. have no way to process that, how do you deal with that? And I think today it's important for somebody to, who is a, if they're 16, 17 or even an adult and you don't know how to process that to seek somebody out. So sure. That's how, that's, well, that I will tell you, I, I, I have a lot of clients who ask this question because they, they check off the box, but I'll ask them, do you understand what, what anxiety actually means? And anxiety, as mm -hmm. I define it is simply the fear of the unknown. It is the fear mm -hmm. of the future. It's the fear of what has yet to happen. Um, because we can't be afraid of what's already happened. It's already over. Right. Mm -hmm. And we can't mm -hmm. change it. But, right. um, you know, so many teenagers are nervous about asking somebody if they want to go on a date or they're mm -hmm. afraid of rejection or they're right. afraid of failing. Mm -hmm. And so they're already thinking negative going into some of these situations, athletes, severe anxiety, almost to a panic, panic disorder, mm -hmm. um, when it's time to, to take the lights, you know? Right. Um, and so it's like, I asked them, so what are you afraid of when you go out onto the court or you go out on the gridiron? What mm. are you afraid of? Well, I'm afraid I'm going to fail. Well, guess mm. what? That's mm. what we're supposed to do. Cause that's how we, we right. have to fail forward into success. So don't mm. be afraid of it. Like go mm. into it head on right. and right. whatever you learn from it, you learn from it. But mm -hmm. I think most people, it's a buzzword. It is a physical, um, problem because we develop symptoms mm -hmm. physically because of how we mentally think. Right. But anxiety is simply the fear of the unknown. It's the fear of the future. Right. And if we can start dreaming big into the future and seeing ourselves doing things mm -hmm. that are that are great, 
And we, um, you know, I tell my daughter, don't worry about making your dad and I happy when you're playing. Don't worry about making the coach happy. God gave you the gift to do what you do out on that court. Play mm -hmm. for God because mm -hmm. you're not going to disappoint God. God is right. very forgiving. And mm -hmm. if you're not able to make everybody else happy, it doesn't matter because you don't have control over their thoughts. Right. You don't have control over their actions. You only have control over what you think about. So we have a lot more control over anxiety than what, what, we, what we realize. Mm -hmm. But most people don't realize that. So yeah. um, that's why I asked you, you know, yeah, what, no, how you define it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and ultimately, after talking to uh, was my track high school track coach at the time who experienced that at a similar similar age, actually, that, you know, he was like, this is exactly what you just described. He said, what do, what are you worrying about? He's like, well, I said, and finally, I just said, I'm worried about me dying. Like, how am I going to die tomorrow? You know, because then you never saw anybody mm -hmm. die before. <laughs> and then right. I was like, wow, I'm the healthy. He's like, think about this. For, you're healthy. You're 17. You know, you're an athlete. Right. You know, that doesn't typically happen. So he had, you know, we did some exercises that, you know, and, and some um, physical and mental exercises to kind of walk me through that process. And finally, I was able to kind of get over it. And it's something that I've never experienced. And if someone is experiencing that now, it's to 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 seek somebody out immediately to kind of get you through that. Because sure. it is it, it is that mental thing that can cause that physical stress and pain um, that we Certainly. feel with. So with your business, I know you're not only a physical a healer of physical pain, but a mental coach for emotional, spiritual, and mental health. What are some of the challenges that you see within your practice today with your current clients? Yeah. Um, I see this every day. Everybody that comes in with physical pain has something emotional or spiritual emotional going on in, inside of them, mm -hmm. which manifests physical pain or disease. Um, you know, tissue that is not at ease is disease. And that's mm -hmm. what causes a lot of physical conditions. So what I see a lot of people who are coming in uh, and I see individuals is as young as eight and as old as 80, 80 mm -hmm. in, in their 80s. Mm -hmm. um, I don't find that um, most people are afraid of dying because they're almost stuck in what they're already in. The people mm -hmm. who I will say that, you know, those who have breast cancer, you can't be afraid of dying because if you're afraid of that, you're walking right into it. Like they're right. fighters, right. you know, um, but most people that I see, um, they are stressed about things that really don't matter, especially the teenagers. Mm -hmm. The teenagers are right now, as I mentioned earlier, you know, back when we were kids in the 80s and 90s. Um, sports was something you did for extracurricular mm -hmm. recreational activity, but it wasn't defining of you right now. It defines everybody like mm -hmm. kids are starting to play, um, where we are professionalizing new sports and kids are playing, um, sports year round mm -hmm. every day of the week. They're seeing some coach of some type with mm -hmm. no time off. Um, and most of them are specializing in one sport in one right. position instead of playing multiple, multiple things, mm -hmm. <clears throat> excuse me. And so they're doing that in their grade school, middle school years in hopes of a college scholarship. If you're my daughter, my daughter's already told me here in the last month. And she tells me frequently, mom, I don't want to be a career volleyball player. And I said, well, Zoe, your job is to explore, discover and fail because you're a kid. You're not supposed to be a career volleyball player. <laughs> right, <laughs> you're right, supposed to be right. supposed to be a kid learning how to play the game, because even professional volleyball players that go to the Olympics are still failing. Somebody's mm -hmm. got to lose. Right. Mm -hmm. So your job is just to go out and have fun, meet friends, create new social circles so that you're not putting all your friends in one basket mm -hmm. and, and figuring out how to get along with other people as a team, how to win and how to lose, how to communicate, mm -hmm. how to pick up new skills. Um, but so many kids are so afraid of failing because their identity is wrapped up in how their parents glorify them on mm -hmm. social media. 
how they talk about them with agents or with, you know, well, my kid did this and my kid did that. I'm really careful about sharing on social media what my kid is doing in sports because I don't want it to define her. Mm. I celebrate when she makes good grades. And of course, you know, other kids um, don't have the ability to make the good grades because they don't have the resources with the teachers. And so I'm really careful just to let my kid know that I'm proud of her for being her and for exploring, discovering and failing because kids right now are scared to death to fail. Mm -hmm. They're scared to death to disappoint their, their coaches, their friends, their family, whomever it is. They're afraid. They're afraid of what others think of them instead of just being carefree and just living through exploration and discovery. Well, thanks for uh, joining us today, and I hope you enjoyed uh, that episode with Amber Kivett. Be sure to also listen to and download part two, which is coming up next in the next episode of the Why Not Me podcast. So uh, thanks for listening to the show. If you've enjoyed it and like it, please share it with a friend and give us a follow. As always, uh, when you ask yourself if you're ever in doubt, ask yourself this, why not me? Why not now? Hope you enjoy your day, and until next time. Have a great day.